happy October. <laughs> we are here. Can you believe it? This year is gone, right? It's October, and um, I don't know about you, but um, you know, it's fall, and I've kind of been enjoying fall weather. The windows are open, and uh, the air condition is off. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, the year is gone but um well you know i'm enjoying the fall so hopefully you are as well but it is october and that means that it is domestic violence awareness month um and because it's domestic violence awareness month um i will be uh, i'm having a series of conversations with a few uh survivors of domestic violence and um What I hope that you gain from these uh, recordings and interviews that I'm conducting is um, empowerment and encouragement. And I want you to know that you're not alone if you are experiencing any type of domestic violence. Um, We're here to help you. Uh, We're here to offer information if we can. And whatever info I don't have, I'm willing to research it and find it. But if you're listening to this and you're in a situation that you are unhappy with and you don't feel like you have a way out, then I'll be sharing information throughout our recording. But I'll tell you right now, um, you can always call the national hotline, um, which is 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. and also you can, you know, you can Google, you can, there's so many things you can do. And, and once we get into our conversation here, you'll begin to hear how others have survived uh, their partner's uh, abuse. Um, this particular conversation that we're having, we're talking a little less about physical abuse. Only because physical abuse, oftentimes we can see it. And um, but we're kind of digging down deep into the conversation surrounding um, verbal, emotional abuse uh, and what that looks like for each person and the manipulator. You know, we've, many of the ladies that you're going to hear share their stories, you know, we've all been with manipulators. We've all been with very self-absorbed individuals. Um, You'll hear the term narcissism. You'll hear um, controlling, you know, you'll hear gaslighting, you'll hear mirroring. Um, You'll hear all types of things. So make sure you stay tuned for all three parts of this conversation. I'll be sharing part of my experience. Um, And of course, like I said, several ladies will be sharing their experience, um, how they've survived, how they're managing uh, having left their partner. Um, Our hope and quest for love. And, you know, some of us are currently in beautiful relationships, uh, healthier relationships. Um, And that's great, right? So I want you to walk away with something more than what you came with. And um, anyone's listening, not sure what domestic violence is, I want to quickly just tell you that domestic violence, also called intimate partner violence, or domestic or relationship abuse is a pattern of behaviors used by one partner to maintain power and control over another partner in an intimate relationship. So if you feel that you're in that type of relationship, you may be a victim of domestic violence. 
Uh, it does not discriminate anyone of any race, age, sexual orientation, religion, or gender can be a victim or even a perpetrator of domestic violence. It can happen to people who are married, living together, and who are dating. It affects people of all socioeconomic backgrounds and educational levels. Please understand that it can happen to you. Domestic violence includes behaviors that physically harm, arouse fear, prevent a partner from doing what they wish, or force them to behave in ways they don't want. It includes the use of physical and sexual violence at times, threats, intimidation, emotional abuse, and economic deprivation. And my experience, coercion. Um, My partner would coerce me into doing the things or having to choose or having to pick him over um, something as simple as going to the gym to work out. So we're going to dig into that a little bit more. And um, remember, please, that this is a three-part series. So um, you'll hear the first part and um, we'll jump in each time just straight into a conversation. Um, so don't miss it, okay? Uh, I'll drop these. Um, of course, we have one dropping now, but you'll hear at the end of this one when the next one will be dropping, okay? So stay tuned, stay till the end, and thank you for listening and um, enjoy the conversation. I want to say hello to my Bar Talks family, it's your girl Queenie. And we're here with another episode of Bartosta Podcast. Um, and today we're talking about domestic violence. Um, domestic Violence Awareness Month, of course, many of you know, is this month, October. Um, and I just want to talk about what domestic violence looks like, how it shows up. I um, want to talk to some survivors um, that have been either emotionally or physically and or both uh, financially. So, so many ways that abuse can show up, but uh, we're going to talk to some survivors so that they can share a little bit of their story and um, hopefully help others to recognize the, uh, the flags that show up and um, things that we might have overlooked before um, so that going forward, we are better equipped and we're not overlooking these uh, traits and we're able to leave these situations safely. Um, so I want to... Uh, take a moment and share with you that domestic violence can happen to anyone regardless of race, age, sexual orientation, religion, or even gender. Um, And if you are someone that you know is in an abusive relationship, or if you have questions about abuse, um, then call 1-800-799-SAFE. That's a national hotline number. Um, And, or you can contact the loveisrespect.org organization at 866-331-9474. Ladies, Welcome to Bar Talks, the podcast. Can everyone hear me okay? Yep. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we have, um, we have Nikki, we have Patricia, we have Michelle, and we have Shay with us tonight. Ladies, I'm so glad that you decided to join me tonight and sharing in your stories. Everybody doing okay? Yes. Okay. Well, y'all looking lovely. Thank you. Thank you. Looking also. <laughs> so, of course, we're here to talk about something that, um, you know, is near and dear to my heart. I think sometimes abuse shows up in especially 
the black community a little different, um, I, I guess, in terms of us recognizing the signs and, um, and not just recognizing, but calling the behavior what it really is. And since I have had, I mean, I've only, I mean, I've been black for like 40 some years and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I've seen it, I've seen it, um, in our community and, um, and we have these conversations and I've listened and I realized that sometimes our definitions are different. Um, our reality is different. Our tolerance is different. And not that it's not different in any other, but I want to talk specifically about us. We are five beautiful women of color and we all have very similar experiences. And um, I have uh, Patricia here who I've spoken with and we both feel the same way. Like, how did we wind up in this situation, right? We have, we have all these tools and we have all this knowledge and then we find ourselves in an abusive relationship. And not just in an abusive relationship, sometimes it's difficult to get out of the relationship, you know? So, so now we're trying to figure out, not only did I, how did I find myself here, but why am I still here, right? So um, I just want to ask the group, um, and first, I mean, you can, you can introduce yourself because, of course, the listeners don't know who's here, uh, but with a quick introduction of who you are, tell me... Um, not only how you found yourself in an abusive relationship, but how long did you stay in that abusive relationship? Um, Nikki, I would like to start with you. So give us a little introduction and then share that with us, please. Okay. My name is Nikki. Um, I've written two books now. I'm working on book three. And it will, you know, speak in, in, in about this um, relationship that I was in with the abuser. Um, and I think... For me, uh, for the relationship, it was, you know, I wanted love so bad because my husband, you know, had left me um, six years ago uh, after being together for so long. And I think I was just looking for love so hard and, and I just wanted it so bad. And that's why I ended up where I was because it was like, you know, uh, this person came into my life at a time where I was feeling lonely and I wanted to be with someone and it was like it was like I cared but I didn't care because I was so lonely and he was showing the love that I wanted and and to come to find out it wasn't like true love uh, the verbal abuse was pretty bad uh, there was never any physical though uh, the verbal was pretty bad but um I think that's why I found myself where I was because I wanted love so much. I was lonely, um, just wanted someone to touch me, kiss me, hold me, and he gave me all that. So that's why I think I ended up there because I was longing for love. Okay, that's that beautiful love bombing stage yeah. that many of us have found ourselves in, right? Yes, I think yes. I think the other ladies around the room are all shaking their head like, yes, yes, they can they can um, relate to the love bomb. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so I'm gonna move on to Michelle. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are and um, your experience as well, how you wound up in that situation and and why you stayed? Okay, so my name is Michelle and I 
uh, found myself in that situation um, much the same. Um, I had been dating, you know, here and there. I was going to church, so I met him in church. And when I met him, you know, I was like, oh my God, he's, he's, you know, he worships and he, you know, praises God. And so I, that's what I liked. And, you know, and so when we, we dated for nine months and got married, we went to Vegas and got married and, um, everything was good. You know, it was loving in the beginning and everything was going great. And then, uh, things started to change. Um, with, um, my, my son was, you know, getting older uh, at the time I, when I met him, my son was 17 and, um, he was getting ready to be 18. So, uh, that kind of was the first sign, um, when my, as my son was getting older and he was getting ready to, you know, graduate high school was the first sign that I noticed the controlling. And then, um, what I mean is, um, that he really didn't want my son there. But again, because I wanted to be loved and I'm like, oh, this is a great guy, you know, and I kind of overlooked a lot of things. Yeah. And then, um, you know, he, in the beginning, it was like we were dating and we were going here, we were going there. He was buying me stuff. I was buying him stuff. And we were just, you know, having a good time. And, and I was, you know, I had been married before and divorced. And so I didn't want to, I stayed as long as I did, because I didn't want another divorce. Mm -hmm. I didn't want, I, I cared about what people thought, what they were going to say. Mm -hmm. So that's why I stayed. And in, in, in staying, I overlooked the verbal abuse, the manip the manip excuse me, the manip manipulation and the emotional abuse. And I, and I overlooked all of that. And just, you know, chalked it up as, oh, you know, he loves me, you know, or maybe I did something to provoke him. When, when I look back on it now, I know that a lot of times I didn't. And so, you know, I stayed as long, I stayed um, eight years in that. Right. Okay. okay. So, yeah. yeah. And then I finally left, but I still feel like I'm a prisoner, even though I have broken free. Right, right, right. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Shay, would you like to share? I'm trying to unmute her. Okay. Are you there? Okay. I'm unmuted. Okay. <laughs> yes, I'm here. Okay. Would you and like to share? Yes. Can you hear me? Yeah, you're breaking up just yes. a little bit, but we can hear you. Can you hear me clear now? Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> okay. Okay. My, my name is Shay, and um, I found myself into a narcissistic relationship um, through a narcissistic mother. Um, my mom, I was in foster care from 11 to 17. And I had that, also had that yearn for love, a family. I had my son when I was young. And it's like, I wanted that complete family. And it's like, oh yeah, if I get married and have that family, I'll have what I was yearning for. And I found myself into, well, my, my family there from Jamaica. And I did a house Stella got her groove back. And I actually went to Jamaica and um, I did everything. I thought I found love. 
and um, I brought my uh, ex-husband to the United States and 2012, I thought I met like, this guy is so humble. It's like he had that perfect, everything that I was looking for. And he was humble. And it's like, I started to notice like, something wasn't adding up. Like, at times it's like, what he said he was, and it's like, what he said and his actions didn't add up. And it was like the red flags that was like there from the start and I overlooked it maybe, I'm thinking like, maybe I'm insecure. Maybe I have like um, trust issues because I did have those um, those things embedded in me that I didn't think that was a problem. And um, my intuitions was uh, spot on with most of the things. And um, my ex-husband, he was a, a pathological liar. He actually left um, a family behind. I found out a, about a family uh, about a year and a half into the marriage, um, I received a phone call from a lady saying, you, you, you broke up my home. And I'm like, wait, I'm not messing with nobody's husband or anything like that. Little did I know that um, my ex-husband, they were in a relationship, a committed relationship. And um, he told her that he was moving to the States to come uh, stay with his sister. So I was pretty much the new supply. And um, at the time, this lady was discarded with her and her newborn child. And um, so I was hit with that and I was standing like, oh God honors marriage. So we're gonna work through all the differences and things of that nature. And I'm not gonna divorce and I'm gonna, you know, be a martyr for my marriage. And everything that I was doing, it was like, nothing was ever reciprocated. I can't say I was ever loved, um, ever respected. And it's like, the more I tried was the more lies that came out more. I felt like I was like, um, bending over backwards and nothing was reciprocated. I bought him and my stepson. He didn't like my son. And it's like, I felt like in that relationship, like his son was the golden child and my son was the scapegoat. Like everything that happened in the house, my son was like accused of or anything. So in that relationship, it felt like it was me and my son against him and his son. And, and I'm like, I felt as though I felt as a mother because it's like, I'm jeopardizing my son's um, mental health for this marriage. And he felt like, like before I was a single mom and it was just me and him. And there was nothing I wouldn't do with me and my son. And I stopped that uh, to be like, a, a wife and like a stepmom and my son suffered um from that and how can I put it it's like he didn't like my son because they he said my son is a mama's boy but as like a single mom and then I had like a narcissistic mother I didn't really have that support so I gave my son everything that I didn't have and I well I tried to give my son everything I didn't have and he was kind of jealous of that relationship he said oh oh he's too attached to you and he used to call him names um call him a homosexual things of that nature um because he he didn't understand the bond that me and my son had like so um yeah. it was like all the red flags that i thought was love mm -hmm. and i ignored and i couldn't i didn't have a a title to put to my intuitions at that time and earlier on in the relationship. I thought I was crazy. I thought I was insecure. I thought 
everything that he projected onto me, I thought I was, but my intuitions and everything later down the line, I realized how it all made sense. Right, 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 right. Okay, thank you for sharing. So mm -hmm. Patricia, um, tell us a little bit about you and, um, and your, uh, a little bit of your story. When I met my childhood sweetheart. We need to know who you are, Patricia. The listeners oh, okay. don't know who you oh, are. I'm sorry, my name is Patricia. I am, um, I am a survivor also, an uh, also a counselor. Um, my story started years ago um, when I was a teenage mother. You know, I, I married my um, child's father. And being young, having a child at 18 in three children by the time you're 23, you find yourself in situation, you know, we moved from New York and we moved down here to Virginia. And, you know, when you don't know who you are mm -hmm. and you don't understand who you are, there are folk who will define who you are mm -hmm. for you. Um, and being a young mother with three children in a relationship, you kind of know the relationship has gone wrong when you, when you get married and you move down here and the minute you step foot in Virginia, you getting phone calls from females, you kind of already know <laughs> it, 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 it wasn't the right thing. Right. <laughs> but you know, when you have children, you don't want, or I didn't want to, uh, cause a break, if that makes sense. I didn't want to inflict harm upon them for choices I made, mm -hmm. right? Um, so them knowing the type of person I was as far as when it comes to children, that created a template for all kinds of crazy to happen mm -hmm. um, within the relationship. Right. And it wasn't until I began to realize maybe, maybe there's something with me that allows this to happen? Did things start to turn around? Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think um, as you hear the stories being shared, there we have so many. Like we're all as soon as one start talking, we're like, "Yep." Like we we've been there. We remember, you know. Um, and because of the type of abusers that we all have been um, exposed to, uh, as Shay said, a narcissistic parent. Um, that's a, that's just one of, one of the many forms of, of how abuse shows up, right? We just so happen to all, we all can relate to that because we've all obviously been with a person that has these very manipulative personality traits and they use power and control and intimidation, you know, and it breaks us down, but there's something already inside of us, right? There's something inside of us that we want to believe the best. We want to believe this person is real. We want to believe, because again, I think we know we deserve this greatness. We deserve this relationship that's amazing. So we want to believe that it's coming from this imposter so bad that we overlook all the red flags. We justify whatever actions. We continue to change our behaviors the more, the more, the more. Every time they move the goal line, we go running for it again. <laughs> you know, we just want to love them. Um, and, and, and honestly, I mean, I can speak to me for all of us. We're good people inside and we really 
we find ourselves in these situations because we are at different phases and stages in our life for whatever reason, if it's children or if it's, you know, coming from broken um, families and we want to have something that's um, healthy, you know, so we, we, I think we have these moments in our mind where we think that this person must be it because again, they show up and they are truly too good to be true. <laughs> we get, we get caught up in the trappings yeah. of the idea of being yeah. in love or, yeah. or being valuable to yeah. someone other yeah. than ourselves. Yes. And sometimes, you know, when we, when, when, when sometimes when abuse shows up in our life, I don't like to say women do something to cause because no one can make anyone do anything. Right. That's the first thing. But we do have some responsibility in that we are wanting to be connected. Yeah. And sometimes it may be because, you know, he wasn't connected to mom or, 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 or something happened back there mm -hmm. that we're trying to fulfill. Well, see, some of the people, they're watchers and they yeah. watch us. Yeah. They know exactly how we move. Yeah. What turns us on? Mm -hmm. And see, that enters the cycle. Oh, absolutely. Because the cycle doesn't happen unless we give it permission. Absolutely. By how we show up to ourselves, mm -hmm. what we do to ourselves, this person sat and just watched mm -hmm. and watched. And they have learned how to take what we do, mm -hmm. spin it back on us, and then make it look like it was our fault. Ain't that something? That's some predatory, manipulative and, and, behavior, and that's honey. The cycle. Yeah. That's the cycle. They know your weakness, exploit your weakness, and then throw it back on, on you and make you feel like you done made something, you done did the worst to them, and now they're the victim. Right. You're wondering, yeah. well, how do I fix this? Yeah, yeah. When, when, when in reality, you can't fix something, because it isn't yours to fix. Mm -hmm. What you can fix is you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hence why we're all here. Because at some point, we got it. And it and I'm for me, it was very painful, but I got it, you know. Um, domestic violence includes behaviors uh, that physically harm, arouse fear, prevent a partner from doing what they wish or force them to behave in ways um, that, they, that they don't want to, as you're talking about. Um, and just for the listeners, it includes uh, the use of physical, sexual violence, threats, intimidation, emotional abuse, economic deprivation, so on and so forth, so on and so on. It's just the gambit. It runs all kinds of gambits, <laughs> you know, it just goes, right? Um, many of these different forms of domestic violence and abuse can um, be occurring at any one time within the same intimate partner, which is even more frightening that we stay and take so much from that one person. Sometimes, like it's a badge of honor, I had an epiphany the other day riding down the street with my daughter, and I said, you know, I, don't, I didn't have it as bad as some women, meaning the time frame. I know some women that stayed for years and I spent 18, 19, 20 months getting out of it. And I had been truly dedicated to it for about six months. Mm. But I spent, you know, three times as long leaving it. Um, but I have friends and family that stayed for years. So as, as much as I have learned about abuse and how it shows up and certain traits and personality traits and, and disorders and behaviors, 
I realized I saw it early enough and I wanted to leave, but I was also caught in the cycle, even upon exiting. I was still caught in that push-pull, push-pull, push-pull. And that came from that, um, that belief that this could actually get better if I just conform, right? Mm -hmm. So um, just for the listeners, again, I want to share this because uh, abuse can show up. And if you are not sure what you're in, I want you to just take an assessment of what you're dealing with. Um, If you're in a relationship with someone, they're calling you names or insulting you or they're criticizing you, if they're refusing to trust you or acting extremely jealous or possessive, they're trying to isolate you from your family and your friends. They're monitoring where you go and who you call and who you spend time with. If you find yourself changing your typical behaviors, if they're demanding to know where you are every minute, if they're trapping you in your home or preventing you from leaving, um, if they're using weapons to threaten or hurt you, if they're punishing you by withholding affection, they're threatening you to hurt you, your children, your family, or even your pets, if they're damaging your, damaging your property, when they're angry, they're throwing things and punching walls and kicking doors, they're humiliating you in any way, blaming you for the abuse, if they're gaslighting you, if they're accusing you of cheating and being often jealous of your outside relationships to include family ships, friendships, and anything else, even your job, serially cheating on you, and then blaming you for their behavior. (laughs) If they're cheating on you intentionally to hurt you, using it as a weapon, or even threatening to cheat on you. If they're cheating on you intentionally, cheating to prove a point, uh, to prove that someone else is more desirable and you're not worthy. They're attempting to control your appearance, what you wear, makeup, how much, how little. If they tell you that they don't like a dress or they don't like a pair of shoes, suddenly after you thought that they did like it, telling you that you will never find anyone better than them, that you're lucky to be with them. You may want to look at that relationship a little closer because you are experiencing abuse. So ladies, I want to know if any of you can relate to any of the things that I just called out and how did it show up for you in your relationship? What did that abuse look like for you? I could tell you from, I was married to a military man. Mm -hmm. So I could tell you, and I stayed in that relationship for 25 years. Okay. And I could tell you one of the, I I never forget, I I gotten into a car accident in New York. We were leaving. We were moving back to Virginia. And um, we had been up all night and cleaning the house for the military to release your funds. And we were driving down the road in Staten Island, the car hit me and I ended up in, on the side in the building. You know, my car turned face the other way. I had to get someone to help me help drive down. My back tore off the frame. And I never forget, um, he was going on a six month cruise. And you know, when you're in accident, you, you, you're drugged up or whatever. And it was all about male privilege, you know? Well, I'm gonna be gone for six months. You, don't, don't you think you should service me for six months? Wow. And even to where you're, you're drugged up and you're out of your head when you're in that type of pain, you, you, you're in, you have you know, the drugs to, to help you, but that didn't mean anything. Okay, a pregnancy came from that, um, you know, 
situation happened. But it was then that I really began to realize it was like all of a sudden the veil came off and I began to realize you are in some craziness. Mm. You are literally in some craziness. All the other things before, it didn't matter because you were young. You, you, you kind of just, you know, I'm from New York. You just moved through it. And I guess that's because I saw my mother move through stuff. Mm -hmm. So you just move through it. You know, that half a loaf is better than none mentality. Yeah, I have. there you go. Okay, mm -hmm. so I just moved through it, but that 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 right there, having a, another child, and I didn't want any more children at that moment. My other children were grown, and they they're ten years different from it. But that situation was so persuasive that that was the beginning of the end for me. I realized that I had to do something else. When this child got here, we were not going down the road that the last three went down. That much I knew for sure. Yeah. And that was the beginning when I began to wake up. Wow. Wow. So thank you. Thank you. What about what about you, Nikki? We wait, you're on mute. Let me let me take you off of mute. You should have unmute yourself now. <laughs> now, I'm mute. Yes. Okay. So for me, um, what it looked like um, at first, I didn't notice because I didn't know what I was dealing with. Really, um, I thought I was dealing with someone with like a little bipolar or something like that. Mm -hmm. I, I've heard the word of the narcissist, yeah. you know, yeah. but. Um, I didn't know what it really extended from, you know, but um, I just seeing him, you know, trying to control what I wore, you know, what are you wearing today? I got to see if it's going to look good. If it doesn't look good, you're going to have to take it off. Um, uh, you don't look good in everything. And, you know, if I'm in the bathtub and he, he was out here and he would say, you know, what are you doing in there? You know, who are you talking to? You know, he'd get on Facebook just to see if my little light is on or something. And he'll say, oh, it's no water. You know, I don't hear the water moving in the bathtub. What are you doing in there? Da, da, da. Are you messing with somebody else? Are you doing this? And I said, no, why? why? You know, so. I was just seeing little things like, you know, he would call me names. He would say I was the devil. I was a witch. I mean, he was calling me all kinds of stuff, like when he didn't give his way about things. Mm -hmm. and then he would make me like feel like crazy because we would talk about something. And then he would say, I never said that. You losing <laughs> your mind. You know, you losing your mind. I never told you that. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. And it was like everything was just poured onto me. Like, okay, now what? You know, I was just like, now what? Why are you doing this? I had no idea what I was dealing with. Yeah. I had yeah. no idea. So, I, I, again, I was just there. I, I wanted I wanted to let go, but it was like, okay, maybe he's just is this bipolar, so maybe he's not taking his medicine and I'll be okay. I'll be okay. So, you know, my heart was continued to love him and he would show me good days and he would show me bad days. I love the good days because he did anything and everything that I wanted to do, you know, it was just he made me feel really loved on the good days and I guess my heart was just taking that. You know, because I wanted it so bad and I wanted to change him. And I knew I probably couldn't, you know, by the mood swings and everything. So, but I was hoping that 
you know, if he just seen how much I loved him and cared for him and, and wanted to give him the world, you know, uh, he would change. But no, I just say, no, this is, this is not going to work. This is not going to work, but still wanting that. So I just, um, just the little things that he was doing, it just, it opened my eyes a little bit, but not enough to say, hey, you know, I don't want to be in this anymore. I continue to be in it. Yeah. You know, Erna, um, it's interesting how you say that because I think for, you know, I've, I've been talking this for a few years now. And what I realize is like what you're describing when you're describing that, um, oh, you must be on the phone with someone. Or, you know, sometimes we interpret that as they must really love us. They just don't want us to go anywhere. And so we wind up in the bathtub making sure we move the water a lot so that they hear it. Yes. Right? yes. And it's all this like, it's a trick bag. I always say that it's like a trick bag. We start doing everything to show them, to overcompensate. Oh no, so we leave our cell phone right there and we just go off somewhere so that they don't have to be right. curious about it. Right. Um, and we do, we start kind of either indirectly or directly asking for permission for things. We want, we want their approval and that it's just not right. And it, it plays in our head because nothing that we do is ever going to be enough mm -hmm. and it will continue. Today it's the water. Is not moving in the bathtub? Right. Oh, let me check your clothes out. So now we're, we're, we're kind of flattered thinking like, oh, he likes to see me in this. It's cute, right? But it's really not. And, and the sad part is that because we are, we want the love and we love them harder and harder and harder and harder because that, that attention, that, that's, that's extra attention they're giving us, we suck it up because that's what we, we're desiring that from them. And I don't want anyone that's listened to think that you're foolish for believing this because they give it to you what looks like so genuinely. They, they're giving it to you. You don't even have to ask for it. And oftentimes we get caught up because we, once they discard us, once they start to devalue us and they discard us, we do anything that we can to get back to that idolization stage of this particular kind of abuse with these particular types of people, with these particular manip manipulative traits. So my heart goes out to you because I remember feeling that way in one of, well, not one, but in my relationship with my, <laughs> with my abuser, I was feeling the same exact way. It just... I'm going to shake all the water so you know yeah. <laughs> I'm giving myself a bath. <laughs> yes. Talk about some entrapment. <laughs> yes. We can laugh now about it because, you know, we look back and, and it, none of that seems right, you know, but in that moment, you can't tell your girlfriends, I have to shake the water in the bathtub, girl, so he know I'm taking a real bath and you're 35 yes. or 40. You can't ever tell that. You know what I mean? Like, they're going to be looking at you like, what the hell are you saying that you're doing? So you keep it a secret and you just keep shaking that water. Unfortunately, right? And they're just sitting in there with their big ego on their cell phones talking to another woman. Um, <laughs> Michelle, would you like to share um, what it showed up? What, what were the flags? What did it look like for you? Um, you know, what did your abuse look like when, it, when you finally recognized what was happening? Um, yeah, so I was, when I, when I recognized what was happening, um, I was probably already four years in and I mean, but it had been happening when I look at, when I look back on it now, I know it had already been happening, but when I really realized, wait a minute, you know, this is not right. Um, I had surgery, 
um, in 2012. Mm -hmm. And I was supposed to be out of work for six weeks. The first day when I got home, you know, he was very attentive and, oh, let me help you, you know. And then it got to be the second day I started noticing, well, he ain't trying to help me. He's trying to go to work. The third day, he was just like, you're all right. You can get up and make yourself breakfast. Okay, so that was that time. Then um, a, uh, another year or so, I had foot surgery on both feet. We were supposed to go on a trip to, on a trip with his family, a family trip, and I didn't want to go. So he told me, he said, don't plan your foot surgery around the time we're going on the family trip. Now, mind you, he didn't want to go by himself because they didn't want to deal with him anyway. He didn't want to deal with them, but he wanted me to be the buffer. Mm -hmm. So I planned my foot surgery. He was so angry. He was still supposed to go on the trip. So the morning of my surgery, my daughter uh, came and picked me up, took me to have my foot surgery. She brought me home because she was going away on a trip herself. So she brought me home, made sure I was safe and, you know, got my medication and everything. I was in a lot of pain and I was taking Trimadol. So I had taken too many of them and I was like high. Mm -hmm. And I heard the alarm in the house. Now, mind you, I'm thinking he's going on this family trip. Next thing I know, I hear the alarm going off because I hear somebody coming in the door, but I can't move because I'm so paralyzed from the medication and the pain that I can't move. So I heard, I, I realized it was him when I heard the alarm being disarmed. Mm -hmm. I heard him walk across the room because we lived in a, we lived in a, um, we were renting a house and it was huge. So one side of the house was the master bedroom and the other side was the, um, the guest room per se. So because he was mad before my surgery that I wasn't going, he made me sleep in the guest room. I heard him come in the door, walk across the house to the guest room. I could kind of see him blurriness peek in the room to see if I was there. Now, mind you, both of my feet are wrapped up. You can clearly see my feet are wrapped up and I have crutches and everything. He looks in the room. He doesn't say, can I get you any water? Are you okay? How was your surgery? He goes back across the house to the master bedroom and closes the door. This is a weekend. All weekend long, I spent in this dark room. No, no help. You know, I'm hobbling to the bathroom, trying to get myself together. No help, but he's in the house. Shortly after that, I felt better. We started talking and I said to him, I said, wow. I said, um, this is, this is after the whole silent treatment for two and a half months. Mm. And he would walk around the house and not, start, not talk to me, walk past me like I wasn't there. If he wanted me to pay a bill, but if it was bill time within this two months, he would put a note on the, on the counter, bills are due, this is how much you owe. Not speaking to me, literally not speaking to me. So after everything was said and done, again, because I want to be loved and I want this to work, I humble myself and I, you know, say, okay, well, I'm sorry, you know, I was wrong, you know. So that's what he wanted. He wanted me to apologize because I was bad. So then when he started talking to me, I said to him, I said, um, when I had my foot surgery, you didn't even offer me any water. He said, he said, I wasn't. He said, because I was angry with you because you lied and said you were going on a trip and you decided not to go. I couldn't change my mind because if I changed my mind, I was double-minded and I was a liar. So I didn't have the, if I said I was gonna do something, I had to stick to what I said I was gonna do because if not, I was a liar. Okay, so then um, he puts me out of the master bedroom. So I'm in the guest room. Two months of no talking. 
I go tell the lady, because now at this point I'm mad too, so I'm saying I'm going to leave. I'm going to get out. Mm -hmm. I go tell the landlord who owns the house that I'm leaving. And as of September, whatever year that was, um, I want to say it was 2018, I'm leaving, I'm moving. So he says he's moving too. We ended up moving to, I ended up staying with him, moving to a one bedroom. That was the biggest mistake of my life for 18 months. We signed a lease for 18 months in this one bedroom. Mm -hmm. He would get angry, put me on a recliner to sleep. Whether that was two weeks, three weeks, mind you, I'm already stuck in this 18 month lease. So now I got it. I'm stuck in this one bedroom apartment. Being mentally abused, not so much verbally, mentally abused, emotionally abused because the silent treatment in a one bedroom apartment, he's walking past me like I'm not even there. You don't sleep in my bed because I, that's my bed. You don't listen. You have an attitude problem and you need to sleep on the recliner. I'm working two jobs, getting up, going to work, a part-time job at four o'clock in the morning. I had to be up at two, get to the airport, work this part-time job, four o'clock in the morning on days that I was off. Plus my regular full-time job. And so there were times where I would have to get up and leave the house, leave the apartment at two o'clock in the morning. My car's parked way across the parking lot. He doesn't come out to say, hey, do you need me to walk? Doesn't walk me out to make sure I'm safe. Um, he would, and because, because he worked a job where he got home early in the day, he, would, he was able to park his vehicle right at the building, like literally walk out the door, get in your car. Never said, can I move my truck so that you can put your car there so you'll be safe if I don't get up at two o'clock in the morning with you? Never. So that went on. Um, not only um, that went on in this one bedroom, I, I was put on the recliner more than once for two or three weeks at a time. Mm -hmm. I mean, the recliner, it was comfortable at first, Mm -hmm. But then, you know, after a couple of days, weeks, your back started hurting. Even though it reclines like a bed, that's where you put me at until I was obedient and I listened and then I was able to come back into the master bedroom as long as my attitude was right and I behaved myself. Right. Ain't that something? Ain't that something? And, you know, I will, I will say this, that these people justify their actions in their head. Yeah, they see nothing wrong with it, mm -mm. and they stay with you to like like they stay with you just to abuse you. There's a cycle. Uh, I've heard the, the term narcissism used a couple of times, so I wanted to share that there's a cycle, um, and it's uh, by Christine Hammond, who is a mental health counselor. She created a um, a, 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 a diagram that shows the narcissist motivations in the cycle of, of abuse and it begins with the narcissist they feel threatened and then they go and they abuse their partner mm -hmm. and then they somehow become the victim mm -hmm. and then they feel empowered mm -hmm. and they go right back mm -hmm. again and this just continues mm -hmm. it's abuse emotion victim Heck. over and over and everything that you just described is exactly what is it's just how it's how it goes it's how it goes and we'll get a little further into this in a second i'm gonna let shay share because i want to make sure that we're driving this home for people because abuse shows up in our lives and we stay because we ignore the flags and the signs and 
but, but we're talking a series of things that happen, but we're still sitting there for some reason convincing ourselves and, 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 and you know, they, they also, they, they, they play a part in convincing us too, right? Because they'll come right back with the love bomb and the, oh, I'm so sorry and let's pray about it and oh, let's go to the church house and um, I'll never do that again. And then they put on the show in front of the friends, you know, and so you are confused because you got all this smoke and mirrors that keep happening. <laughs> and as soon as you get, as soon as you make it up in your mind, like, you know, I deserve better and you believe they hit you with something else. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. turn back around and you caught back in their cycle and you convince yourself it must be because I love them. Mm-hmm. Love. And then you start telling yourself it's a love tie. And then you tell yourself, we're twin flames. This is my soul. You have all these justifications. Yes, the narrative that you tell yourself, mm-hmm. I want the listeners to hear as we are talking about what abuse looks like during this Domestic Violence Awareness Month, I want you guys to understand what you're in. Don't, you don't have to question it. If any of this is showing up in your relationship, then take a step back and begin to plan how you're going to get out of this and break this cycle. Can I just add something? Sure. Because I think every last one of us, and it's something that I, I tell a lot of my clients, We have two brains. We have our brain that's up here and then the brain that lives in our gut. That gut brain is the brain that we never listen to because it's never in alignment with what we see physically or what we want physically. Mm -hmm. And so we we disallow that brain. But that's the brain. That's something told me to. That something's pulling at me. That's something just not right, brain. That's a word there. <laughs> that teaches you if you follow that brain without hesitate, okay, that brain will lead you, it will direct you. It will not give you what you want, but it will protect you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what we that's what we 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 don't want, we want what we want a lot of times. And a lot of times what we want isn't good for us. And our gut knows it. Yeah. We don't listen to it. Yeah. That's a word there, honey. Thank you for that. Shay, please go ahead and share. And after that, we're going to take just a small break. And come right back and finish up. Um, So Shay, please go ahead. Well, my realization came with the backhanded comments. Like, I've noticed with my ex-husband, he could never give me a genuine comment. Mm -hmm. Um. I cut my hair. My hair was shoulder length. I've always had long hair. So he would say like, Ooh, that new short haircut is nice. But, um, lesbians have short haircuts like that. Or I I was always doubting myself. And like throughout my marriage, I put on some weight and he would say, Hey, you look good to be a fat woman. Like things like that, it was always a backhanded comment mm. that will always have me doubt myself. And I'm like, I was going an extra mile to try to please and get like a good compliment without like the insult. Mm. Like, um, he would say all kind of things, mm. and then it's like, wow. And I, I, it got to a point where it's like nothing I can do or 
I can get dressed. He, I, I believe he had like a Napoleon syndrome. Okay. Oh, okay. I'm five, I'm five, eight and I'm not even attracted to short men. He was five, four. So he always gave me like, if I wore heels, he said, Oh, we look like Herman and Miss Piggy. Like anything that like, mm-hmm. if I had a smile on my face or anything, he, he made it his business to get that smile off of my face. Like mm-hmm. I said, I'm a jovial person by nature. And I love to laugh. I love to smile. I don't like to be like a, a Debbie Downer and depressed all the time. That's not my nature. And it's like, anytime he would see me in gatherings or like any kind of event, it was always, he was like a, a prune, like anywhere, like always criticizing and complaining about something. And I, I would be that person that's saying like, Hey, you want an extra piece of chicken? Hey, you want a drink or something like that to get him to like, try to make him happy. And I said, I realized in the midst of that, I was losing myself trying to make this guy happy. It's like nothing I could ever do. I always use the parable, like, I can go to the moon and get you chicken. And he could say, hey, you could have got me a burger too. It's like nothing I ever said or did was ever good enough. And it's like, I found myself on his roller coaster, like, what can I do to please you? What can I do to please you? And it's like, he got like instant gratification out of that. It's like, it's nothing that you can, he knew it's nothing that you could ever do, but just to see me go around, like, um, I took uh, custody of my little brother, okay? My little brother was removed to some, some of the similar situations that, um, I went through like a foster care agency and I had proved and certified and being so we were married, he had to go and go through these trainings as well. And it was like, I had to like walk on eggshells to say, are you going to go today? Because we're like one class closer to being certified. And I was like walking on like, he could say, I don't want to go. I don't understand this bull crap. I don't know why I have to do this. And it's like, okay, it's for a cause. I'm trying to get my little brother. Um, just please just do this. And I, I found myself, we had to go through a six week, a six week training um, through, I, I live in Pennsylvania, through the state of Pennsylvania. They have to um, certify your home everybody that every adult in your home has to be certified with CPR, first aid, um, child abuse clearances and everything. Mm -hmm. And every training, I was literally begging him to go. Mm -hmm. And when my little brother got there, he, my, my ex-husband, he was a, he would call the police for, I remember there was a scenario that, um, he called the police and said he want, I was, I wasn't able to ever express myself or say what you were doing to hurt me. I was always shut, shunned out. Like I can say, hey, when you did this, it made me feel away. He would put his hand up. I don't want to hear it. Um, something is wrong with you. You're crazy. Um, like as a child, I, I shared my traumas and he would always like um, make me relive my traumas. Oh, it's something wrong with you because you endured this. Somebody touched you. You crazy. I, I don't want to hear this. Matter of fact, let me call the police and um, let them be a mediator so I don't hit you. Or he was like verbally abusive at first and then it, it became um, physical. So um, he would call the police like every time that I try to approach a situation. So being um, in that situation, my little brother was removed from my home for domestic. He was with me a year and a half and being so out of that year and a half, the police was called to my home 11 times. They said my house was deemed um, unfit for a child that endured domestic um, abuse. And, um, and I'm like, if you look at these police reports, it's nothing like 
he they, he's calling the cops because uh, he claimed that I took his watch, stuff like that. And he knew that. He said, um, being so, I said, I'm going to take my little brother because I know what that feels like to be in the foster home and all that. So I said, if I sign up for nobody else's responsibility, your mom is, is perfectly fine. That's on you. If you want to go ahead and take them, you got it all by yourself. And when I would ask for him to participate, um, because at the time there were three boys in our home, like I'm like, I'm a woman. I can only teach him but so much. I'm asking you to teach them, do things with them, activities and everything. I don't have nothing to do with that because I didn't sign up for this. I'm not, yeah. I got one son. And I said, wow, you got one son. So things like that. Yeah. And I realized that I was put in a situation where I felt at that time, like I have to choose between my brother and my husband. And I'm like, I've made a vow. I made a commitment. I, I was trauma bonded. And I'm putting like, I'm looking, I think I, I was more in love with the the fact of marriage than the actual, once I look back at it, I weighed the pros and the cons. And mm -hmm. I said, um, that wasn't love. Yeah. Like all the things when I, I wrote out my pros and my cons list, when I was writing my book, I looked at everything and I said, um, me, myself, I can admit, I think I had like a, a fixation more so with being married than actual marriage that I was in because I had to ask myself was this love mm -hmm. and when I look back at at it it was like kind of like a a fixation because I can't say I actually was in love with like pain because it was like more so pain and I'm like what why did I consider this love mm -hmm. how was this love and I'm like I'm crying 90% of the time and then in the same sense as I'm saying hey I love him. So I'm like, where was the disconnect with myself? And as um, what Patricia stated, it's like your gut feeling is screaming. Like your intuition is, especially with these narcissistic relationships, your intuition is going to scream, hey, that's not right. But a lot of the times being in these trauma bonds, we overlook what our intuition is really telling us. It's like you make excuses or like that Stockholm syndrome, you're making excuses for the abuse. Yeah. Like, um, Hey, he cheated because maybe I wasn't giving him what he needed. And you sit back after you find yourself on the healing journey. It's like, did I, did I really make an excuse for that? Or did I really try to justify why, um, he choked me or why he hit me? Mm -hmm. Oh, I was, I wasn't in alignment. I didn't wash the dishes when he told me to. And when you're in those situations, it's like, you try to do everything you can so I don't get hit the next time. Maybe he was having a bad day. And then once you're out on that journey of healing, and it's like, wow, you got to apologize to yourself. It's like, it was a disconnect with yeah. you, you all the way. Yeah. I, I love the way you said how the trauma from your past connected with, mm -hmm. with the abuser because there's a strong connection between trauma that's unresolved in the back in the history and why we are even attracted mm -hmm. to the it's like a, a wound of this. And they smell it. Yeah. They do. They know she has low self-esteem. They know I was yes. rejected. They yes. know you suffer abandonment yes. issues. Yes. They can smell it. It's like, yes. Hmm, yes. They this is a fresh it. piece of meat. Yeah, yeah, they study it. It's what, it's what, it's what um, we were talking about earlier. They study our patterns. 
-hmm. And that's how they get underneath our skin because Mm -hmm. they sit back and they study. And that's how the cycle begins because whatever it is that they think we need and want, Mm -hmm. they know just how to twist it and not give it to us, but make us salivate for it. Make us think it's like it's like, it's like Pavlov's dog, if you want to yeah. put it out there like that. They know how to make the bell ring and how we would just do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I, you know, you are, you are so correct on that. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, what I'm hoping, you know, because no one had this conversation with me. No one really broke it down. Um, to, you know, because sometimes we thought abuse was just physical. Mm-hmm. You can see that. You can see the black eye. I mean, Mm -hmm. I I work in in DV. So I work Mm -hmm. with um, DV clients in a program. Mm -hmm. And um, I hear it a lot. People Mm -hmm. really thought abuse just looks like a black eye. Because, I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, when you see it on TV, you see it that way oftentimes. That's just black eye. Yeah. And you can hear the neighbor when they're fighting Mm -hmm. or things like that, right? But yeah, but the things that go on in the quietness of the home or the subtle teas that go on in the cars when they're passing by, you don't know anything about that. You have no idea until you're living in it. People had no idea, you know, of the things that I was going through. I was screaming inside. Mm-hmm. No one, you know, I always show up looking like I'm okay. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think many of us enable our abusers by not telling the truth, by mm-hmm. not telling it early, mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. not, but like I said, say to that girlfriend, girl, I have to shake the water so he know that I ain't doing anything. Because that girlfriend going to be like, what the hell wrong with you, Queenie? That's mm-hmm. some crazy shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. sometimes we don't even want that friend to tell us because we're so thirsty for that relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we want to keep it quiet because mm-hmm. sometimes we notice something's not right. Mm-hmm. But That's one thing I realized as we keep, you know, we kind of, again, a specific type of personality, um, they have a skill. And unfortunately, when they get with people like us, because I do understand that their, their method and madness don't work on every woman. They mm-hmm. think it can, but it doesn't. Because some women will be like, hit the road, Jack, quick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Others stay. So there's a certain type of personality that they can dance with. Others, they will not. So some of us, we absorb the narcissist version of the events right and we're the victims of them we may often get like abuse amnesia and we'll start having these uh um muddy thoughts like maybe that didn't really happen that way because now we we're hearing them because you know how they um discredit whatever we say is going on we say it and they're like it didn't really happen that way so now we're confused so we don't really trust <laughs> we don't really trust what we think we <laughs> what we think we're saying happens um and it's it's weird how that happens and then they themselves can take that mm-hmm. same thing that we brought to them and turn it right back around they, they, that's the how they become victim. that's how they play victim. <laughs> it's a, it's a, and, and it's now we're apologizing to them exactly we never meant for them I didn't mean mm-hmm. to feel abandoned. I'm sorry. I, and, and we forget yeah. what we just endured. Yep. And, 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 the, and one thing I'll add, they're clever. If we demand to stand up for ourselves, they'll tell us, it's not all about you. You make everything about you. But that's, that's the cycle. That's the, cycle. That's, the second, that's the second part of that cycle. So we'll swallow it.
Wasn't that something? <laughs> oh my goodness. I, you know, I, I'm, I was almost speechless, but I became so aroused in this conversation because hearing the stories being shared around the room, I couldn't do nothing but relate. Like being in a relationship where you know you're being treated poorly, you know you've been treated unfairly, and the individual flips everything because they're skilled in doing so. Um, and because of your love and your commitment, you just stay and you you just allow yourself to feel crazy staying with the crazy, you know. Um, but it's not right. And ladies and gentlemen, if you're in this type of relationship, you don't have to stay in this. You do not have to stay in this. And I trust me, I know you probably feel that you love them. But you got to love yourself more. People will drain you of all of your goodness and they will abuse you. And then they'll tell you that you're at fault. You brought it on yourself because you did not comply. They'll also tell you that they didn't make you stay with them. You have the right to leave. You don't have to be there. They'll manipulate you every way possible to have you confused. And what we want you to know is they're right. You don't have to be there. You can find a way out. But what I hope ultimately is that we learn to avoid these people at all costs. Save yourself the trouble. Save yourself the years. You are a genuinely loving and kind person. You deserve to be met with that same energy. Not the love bomb, but I mean a consistent energy of love, kindness, integrity, these things and more you deserve. I'll see you next time um, when the next podcast drops. Stay tuned. Um, check out the Bar Talks page on Facebook, Bar Talks, um, the podcast, and check out our YouTube, Bar Talks, the podcast on YouTube. Check us out. You will then see when the next, uh, when part two drops, uh, which will likely be a week from now. Part two will be dropping. We'll jump right into the conversation. I hope that you gained something from this discussion. And I know there's a lot of people listening. I know there's a lot of people listening. Um, there's probably some abusers listening. And they are saying that none of this is true. This didn't happen this way. Or that we're lying or exaggerating or we brought it on ourselves. But guess what? We don't care because we're free. And I want you to be free as well. So it's your girl, Queenie. And in honor of Domestic Violence Awareness Month, we're having these conversations as uncomfortable as they may be, and they may even trigger you. But I want you to find your freedom. You don't have to stay in those these relationships. Be safe. Be careful. And get yourself out if that's what you want. All right. One love. Bye. <laughs>